Abba Yahweh, to them that have an ear, let them hear your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. Thank you for allowing me to be a conduit for your truth, Father God. Abba Yahweh, Amen. Eshua, Amen. Parakletos, Amen. So, this is something that um, is really very important, and we need to pay attention to this thing, this thing that the Lord has given and bestowed, because, <laughs> pardon me, the truth and reality is that without God's love, we cannot, our emotions and things that we have that we feel in us are given to us by God. They're given to us by our Lord. And you know, you must know that because he does that, you know that he feels when we feel grief and when we have hurt and we have a loved one. And he knows that when we're in pain or in anger. But here's the other thing that we have to know that the word of God promises. God's word, he promises to be faithful and true. And he is with us. And, and we can find this in so many different places in the Bible is promises from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the rule of faith, if you read from the front to the back and the back to the front, you'll find that all through the word of God, he promises to be with us. He promised the nation of Israel. And they fell when he spent so much time on the mountain praying and visiting to God on their behalf. They became what? Just like we do, impatient, stomping their feet, checking their uh, checking their uh, sand, sundials on their wrists, looking, 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 tap that. Well, you know what, Aaron? He's not coming back. We know that you're a great metalsmith and you can do this stuff. So you know what? We remember and we could see all the time. We don't see God. We don't see Moses, but we saw those that golden calf. You're going to make us one. So pressured by all the tribes that come, they brought their jewelry and their gold and he melted it down and he created a golden calf that they would fall down and worship. And when Moses came off of God's mountain, spending time with God on their behalf, he was angered. Yes, he was angered. And uh, it was not a good thing. The very tablets that God had just written, those pharisaical, foolish people when they confronted Jesus and kept citing the law of Moses, the law of it's not Moses' law. He was just delivering the law. God wrote the law. God gave it to Moses to carry to the people. He got so mad with that golden idol when he saw it and he cast them down. You don't deserve these. 
God loves you way more than he ought to. Well, it wasn't for Moses to determine. Many things that occur on this plane of existence are not ours to determine, and yet we decide who is and who isn't going to get what and do what. This is... This is that thing, and I've shared not too awful long ago with you, that thing called emancipation, because we're bound up in the bondage of Satan's lies, his white noise, his deceit. And the greatest emancipation proclamation is not from Abraham Lincoln. It's a proclamation from Jesus. And he declared that whom the Son free is free indeed. And we have that And that frees us from the bondage of Satan who desires nothing more than to keep us bound up and believing his lies, to keep us bound in the past. See, people, (coughs) and I'm sure there are those of you out there that have found this to be true, that even your loved ones even members of your own family will look at you in the face and remind you of what you were or how you were. They want you to be bound up in the past. They want you to start believing the lies that Satan has gotten them to believe. And the only reason that they do that sort of thing is because they're bound in the past. Or they'll say something like, Ah, you're never going to change. You're just like you were. Well, (laughs) sometimes they're so buried in the past that they can't let go. And they're holding on to it so tightly they can't see the reality. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect because on this plane of existence, there's nothing perfect until he who is perfect has come. But we have to remember that our Lord has set us free. In John 8, it's talking about our salvation and freeing us from that bondage. And that is in John 8 and 36. Eight and 36. Actually, I'm I'm gonna share with you some more on this because this is uh, another confrontation that the Pharisees wanted to throw up at Jesus. And 
And this is one thing that you have to remember too, is that um, this is also for us and not just for the Jews that, that Jesus was talking to. And, and remember this too, is that oftentimes Jesus was in a mixed company, but the Pharisees liked to try to confront him in public. And this is, um, again, this is one of those things that the Pharisees couldn't understand because they didn't have true wisdom. That thing that I've shared with you, God's truth, knowledge, and wisdom that he imparts to you if you ask for it. And he kind of lays into them pretty good. And I love that. I love this, this passage here because you just tell them straight. And I'm telling you straight. If you don't do these things, you're going to end up just like them. All you have to do is knock on the door. Seek that truth, knowledge, and wisdom. I've shared scriptures with you before that, that wisdom is like a, a fine treasure. And you search for it. I shared with you the vision that God gave to me and and, and I saw, and this is how I look when I when I come and I share the word with you. I am drawing baskets, literally baskets full. I can take my arm and and rake the, the jewels and the minerals and the and the uh, this treasure off the shelf, fill up the basket and turn and leave and come back and and if I look back over that the the gems, the treasure just bubbling up like an artesian well, but it's all jewels and gems and minerals. And that's the word of God, his treasure house. It is his treasure that he shares with us. He bestows on us his truth, knowledge, and wisdom that we can have if we seek it. All we have to do is ask for it. But back to John 8. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Listen to what I'm saying here. You listen to what he's telling them and you listen to what I'm telling you because it is one and the same. If you continue in the word and you study the word, you seek his face and we share the word and do our father's business, then we are disciples. And everything that he taught them, we should be in this word of God, the Bible, our instruction manual, and following in these things. And when he speaks to them and you read it, it this is not just a book. It's not a novel. It's not a... This is our instruction manual, our guide, our roadmap through, through everything that we should be doing. And everything, when he's talking to them and, and uh, God's talking to man in the gospel, his gospel of the Old Testament and you come to the gospel of the New Testament, which is Jesus' arrival and coming, his birth and coming in, and all these things, when he's talking to those that he chose and he pulled to follow him and he's teaching them and telling them certain things, pay attention because he's talking to you. A disciple's disciple. And people throw this stuff out at me and they ask me, oh, are you a Christian? I said, well, if you have to put a label on it, then yes. But I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I try to study, stay in this word. And, and it's not an easy thing in this fallen world that we live in. 
but being a disciple, I've shared this with you before, has to do with discipline. We must be disciplined. You have musicians and artisans and maestros and various other individuals that are disciplined in their craft, they're disciplined in their art. And that means that they practice and they study, they rehearse, they study, they read, they study, and it's all about the music. If you want to be a good disciple and being about our father's business, then we have to practice and study to show ourselves approved, as Paul tells us. Study to show thyself approved. However, there is a proviso, and this is a hard one. Brothers and sisters, I find myself caught up in, but this is where the spiritual warfare comes in, the spiritual battle comes in, and you have to be suited in that armor that God custom made for you. Brothers and sisters, if you don't think that you're in a battle and you don't have to do anything because... You read the book. Then the devil has indeed won. Trust me in this. He has won and you are falling prey to the white noise interference that you don't have to do anything. So you are not about God's business. You don't share his word. You sit back, you pull that thing, you suck the suds down while you're watching the game after church. And you don't share the word of God. Further, 8.32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is Jesus talking about? Now remember, this is in front of members of the Sanhedrin, and he chastises them because they declare the truth, and Jesus tries to explain to them, of course you don't know the truth, the truth stands before you. And you don't recognize the truth because you don't know the language of truth. You know the language of your father. Lies, deceits, hatred, derision, separation. That's because your father is the devil. Oh, that really angered them. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free. And Jesus answered, see, this, this, is, this is their not having wisdom. This is them having simply book smarts. And as Jesus told them, he said, you claim to know Torah, but you don't know Torah. They've read it, they think they know it by continued reading, and I've shared this with you before, is having book smarts. Many people have book smarts, but they're, well, lack of a better descriptive word, moronic. Because they don't know how to apply anything that they read. They just have that knowledge, it's just floating around. And I've shared this with you before. It's God's truth, knowledge, and wisdom. And he teaches you, if you seek his wisdom and you pray for wisdom and you you ask him to guide you in that, he will respond. 
Wisdom is knowing how to take that knowledge and bind it together, not just a free-floating collection of stuff everywhere, but just bound together and it can be utilized and knowing how to utilize. This is, this is what this guidebook is for. This is what the Bible is for, what God put together. We still act and we will trip and fall because we're not perfect until he who is perfect has come. And that is the second advent of Jesus Christ. Remember I've shared with you James. James Albright, elder at my church, is a good man and he had a good service Sunday. He was one of the ones that our pastor had him to speaking and I like the collection. His presentation is different, but that's okay. That is okay. But he was speaking on the advent, which is the advent is the appearance or the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Now, that was the birth and he came and he was sacrificed. There will be a second advent. The second advent, of course, is the return of the lion of the tribe of Judah, our conquering king, and every knee on this plane of existence shall bow to him and will confess that indeed you are Lord. And he tried to get the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin to understand that he was truth. Ah, oh, we read Torah, we know the truth. Well, no, you don't. Okay, further reading. And Jesus answered them, in 30, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say to you. Now, that verily, verily means, it's kind of like, um, listen, listen. This is important. Remember I told you that teachers will sometimes tell you, you know, you might want to write this down because it could show up in a test. Jesus is, it's similar, okay? Well, maybe not. <laughs> but it's important, he's trying to tell them. You notice he usually, when he said it, he said it two times. So or I had a teacher who used to tell us that, if you hear me say this two times, you might want to write it down. Jesus didn't sit there and go, barely, 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 he just, barely, barely. This is important. Hear me, hear me. Further, 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin, and a servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. And this... This self-righteous attitude that the that the Sanhedrin had. And we're gonna jump back up to verse twenty-three when he is in there. <laughs> and he's really pouring it on them because of their self-righteousness and and uh, they didn't understand that he was talking about spirituality, not physicality, and they always went to the physical. 
Uh, this is something that I noticed in, in reading whenever he had a, a uh, I don't like to use the word confrontation because it was not confrontational on Jesus' part ever, but they were very confrontational with him, very much so. And whenever they, <clears throat> pardon me, whenever they came for him or they tried to confront him about something, it was really kind of a repeat to them. And they didn't understand his parabolic speech. And when Jesus told them that he had to go and that they couldn't follow him because they couldn't. And, and as we go back up to verse 21, this is about their self-righteousness and not understanding the spirit. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And then they said unto him, who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. And see, in this excerpt I'm sharing from John, this is later on in, in Jesus' teaching and his walking. And it's as the man that was healed and they kept questioning him. And then finally, when they called his parents in, And they asked them the exact same questions they were asking him. And the parents becoming exasperated with the Sanhedrin just looked, said, wait, you just asked him the same thing. Didn't he tell you he is a man full grown? Did he not tell you what happened? And we were not there. And yet you want us to tell you, yes, our son was blind from birth. This is... From birth, I bore him, yes, he is our son. Goodness gracious, we're, we're out of here. We're gone because you men are fools. And this is interesting that comes back because the Holy Spirit talks to me about things like this and, and guides me so that I don't become like, but when you're not in the truth and you're not, you're not paying attention. It makes you look really foolish. So these men wanting to be the wise men, they wanting to have, be above God with their, or Jesus, their authority, which is what they were doing. They were trying to usurp the sovereignty of the Lord God Almighty by usurping the authority that Jesus came with. And they didn't understand his parabolic speech, which came from God. They didn't get it. They didn't understand And further again, reading from 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth, this word, the Bible, the word of God, the truth of Abba Yahweh. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. 
and were never in bondage to any man. How saith you shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever. But the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And other reading that I have was reading on is that um, passages that, that talk about being not only does Jesus make us free, emancipates us, takes off the shackles, the bondage that Satan desires for us to be in. <clears throat> and the shackles and bondage, the rope, the chains, however you want to describe them, are things of the past. He wants us to waller in the things of the past, which then we will self-degrade, debase, and take ourselves down, which is what he wants us to do. Then we start comparing ourselves and we start, and in doing that, we hit that slippery slope and go down. But when the Lord cleanses us and he bathes us, we are made to be as white as snow. And scriptures share that. And it's a difficult thing to do. We're going to get mud splashed on us again because we walk in this plain, broken plane of existence. It's going to happen. God knows it's going to happen already. But we are promised that he is with us always and great is his faithfulness to us. There's a song I can remember, you know, and you've heard it, I'm sure. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It's also in the scriptures. And he promises that. And we see that. And there's songs that speak about being made white as snow. We're going to get splashed on. We're going to get made, mud splashed on us. We're in this plane of existence we're on and we're going to get dirty. People always love to uh, <laughs> see here's this comparative thing, issue that goes on which is a dangerous place to waller and I say waller because a lot of people will hit that slope and they slide down and they end up falling in that slime pit and then waller around in it because they can't stand up and what do they do? They continue comparing themselves to others or saying this about that, degrading, belittling. And this is part of the issue that Satan likes to throw in. And all that slime that ends up in that pit, that's, that, uh, that's these bucketfuls of white noise that he has his minions throwing. And it's um, okay, this, this is kind of a far out analogy, but the only description that I have is that um, in the deep south, you have this red clay. <laughs> oh my goodness, when it gets wet or there's any rain, that red clay is sticky and slippery, just the slimiest. And if you ever go off a road 
and that mud will just cake around the tide and gets up and then and you're not going anywhere. It just that car you bog down and it, the tires just spin. It's very slick. Um, we're going to jump up to an old John Wayne movie. I'm I'm trying to throw an analogy in there so you understand that slippery slope. And um, <laughs> it's a movie called McClintock, and there's a a big um, melee that took place. It was on the the uh, edge of this mine pit or quarry pit, and it had some kind of a talc residue, and it was wet because they had this uh, slush box that had been operating there, and it was very, very slippery. You couldn't get up, but you slid down anyway. This is the same thing, very slippery. And this slope you get caught on by comparing yourself to others is that slippery slope because once you start doing that you get down there in the bottom and you're just wallering around and all that stuff and the minions keep throwing that white noise out there on the slope to keep it wet and keep it slick and keep you down to keep you in that bind and then you you get wrapped up in all the ropes and the chains and all the things of the past and you and you then you start fussing at people that are around you. Argumentative. And then you become self-degrading. Further reading in John 8, 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father. Remember this. This is, this is important because I, I believe this ties in with what I said, that, that Jesus was with God from the beginning in the parabolic speech because go back to the Old Testament. God speaks in parables. And Jesus speaks in parables. Interesting. I find it interesting. My perception. You don't have to agree with me, and that's okay. But as long as we're of one mind, one spirit, one truth, the truth of the word from God. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we do not, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Okay, hold on to the safety rail because the ride's gonna go. <laughs> it's a roller coaster. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why did he not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of, convicteth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou house of devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou saith that the man keep my ways. Keep my sayings, ye shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor be nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, hear this, I am. What did Lord God Almighty Abba Yahweh tell Moses on the mountain? And when Moses asked him and confronted him with so many excuses, which so many Christians do today, well, I can't go out there and testify and share and and do God's business because I, 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 yeah, there you go. I stutter. I have a speech impediment. Excuse, excuse, excuse. And when Moses turned and asked him, who should I say sent me? And before he gave them a permissive name to call him, he told Moses, I am sent you. You tell them I am sent you. Jesus answers the Jews, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by simply left. He didn't want to deal with them anymore and they were going to take stones, but it was not his hour. His hour had not come. So they were not permitted to see him. They were not permitted to harm him. And yet that's all they did.
And all Jesus did, just like he was telling them there, sharing the truth, the truth, the truth. Paul's speech used to bother me when Paul spoke and I read his his epistles and things because I thought, wow, what an arrogant individual he is. But then, of course, I learned things because the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. Paul was not arrogant. He's not arrogant at all. Very self-confident in his faith to the Lord God Almighty. Other people they confuse because arrogance and confidence are not synonymous. They are very, they're very contrary to one another. Jesus being confident in his authority that he carried in all the time and the Jews being arrogant. <laughs> Pardon me. The Jews were very verbally confrontational, which then passed into physical confrontation. They wanted to do that all the time. That's an arrogant individual. Arrogant individuals will um, generally be very bullyish. The Pharisees were very much that way. And um, my earthly father used to teach this thing, and I, it took a while for me to learn and understand it. But when an individual gets confrontational, and this is one thing that Jesus was so good at, and I want to be so good at, is that when somebody comes at you with a confrontational issue and they start getting loud and they get loud, don't get loud back. That just makes it very difficult for anybody to understand. Then no one understands and it draws attention from everyone around. I have to practice this and it, it's kind of hard sometimes and, you know, what I do and my job and, and how it is, sometimes it's difficult because people are so derisive and they're so full of hatred and they're so, but here's the important thing is that my Lord has washed me and he's made me clean. He knows that I'm not perfect, but he still takes me as I am, as he will take each and every single one of you as you are. Because... Why? John three sixteen. For God so loves us that his only begotten son, Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, Christ, anointed of me, Lord God Almighty, Abba, Yahweh, maker of all things, made the great I am, and he was with me the whole time. So I anointed him to come for you and be sacrificed for you. And if you believe that he is my only begotten son and you have faith in me and you follow my spirit, which is a spirit of truth, knowledge, wisdom, and guidance for you to teach you to understand these things that are, you will find written in the word parabolically, but the Holy Spirit will guide you through them to help you understand them and give you that knowledge and then develop your wisdom. So this is what God promises to do. And he will do, and he does do. And understand this, I, I've, this is why it says white as snow. When you have fresh snow fallen, 
and you can see this in a lot of times. I I mean, it's it <laughs> it's so spectacular. The first the the freezing rain comes down and it kind of cleanses and filters the and washes everything out of the atmosphere. And then the snow comes and then you, snow continues and continues. And then that top layer of snow is so clean and so pure. It is so white, it's different. And if any of you have been in a relatively snowy environment or uh, resided anywhere like that, you will see that what I'm telling you is true, that there's different, there's a difference. And God gave me this gift one night, going through Roanoke, Virginia. It was so beautiful. It was, and it was right around Christmas time, holiday time. And God gave me this beautiful postcard, a living postcard. Thank you, Father. It was so gorgeous. And had to do with that white snowfall that could be visibly white, snowy, crystalline, sparkling white. At nighttime, the full moon, the moon was full. The air was clear. The air was crisp and there was no cloud cover. So it was very bright out there and it was reflecting off of this, off the hoarfrost that was out in the field. Hoarfrost is a top layer and, and it gets crunchy when you hear people walk in the snow and it crunches. That's, that's at, uh, what's called the hoarfrost on top. H-O-A-R. But it's very cool. It's very beautiful. And God, we are washed that way is that the impurities when God in dealing with all these things that we go through life, we get a little dusty, we get a little muddy, but, but God bathes us. The Lord bathes us. He cleanses us and makes us white as snow. And there's different places in the Bible that, that speak to the relativity. And I love the fact that Daniel shares my thought process in this when he talks about God, calls him the ancient of days. And this is what he tells Moses in a different way. You tell them, I am sent you. I am, which means that he just in existence and has been. And Jesus tries to get the pharisaical, arrogant individuals. Now, they are arrogant because um, they're actually not really confident in their in their word. They just know that they read it, so and they know it uh, written down. They have a lot of book smart, but they don't have true wisdom. And so, in that being said, what did they what did they do? Numerous times, numerous times. They bent down to pick up stones and throw them at Jesus and they wanted to become aggressive and physically aggressive because they didn't. And this is what arrogant individuals do. If you don't believe me, I'm going to beat you into submission, which is what they wanted to do with Jesus. But the only problem is that they didn't know is if they had been listening to him, they'd understand that he came not only for freedom of those who were sick and healing them, but he came for them as well. And just like he did when he was hanging on the cross and dying and before he gave his last breath and before he told God, into your hands I commend my spirit to fulfill the prophetic word which said that his bones would not be broken, 
which was the custom, I've shared this with you before, which was a custom of the Romans when they put people to crucify, they had that pedestal, if you will, underneath their feet, but it was just enough to keep them so they could draw breath, push up with their legs, and they could draw breath in. And that way they would keep them alive and people could come by and see them agonizing. But before he gave up the spirit, before he gave up his spirit, they didn't take it from him. His spirit of life, Jesus, had the authority that was given to him because he was anointed Christ from our Lord God, Abba, Yahweh, the great I am, Jehovah, Shire, our provider, and he provided a sacrifice for us in the guise of Jesus, his only begotten son. He looked down on those that condemned him, those that pursued crucifixion, those who wanted to stone him at every turn, those that wanted to bully him into submission to their lies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a difficult thing to do, a hard thing to do, and because we are not perfect, and we are not Jesus Christ, but we need to reflect that thing that he put into us. He put that into us. Reflecting that outward. I've shared with you before the lighthouses and the greatest lighthouse. I, I think I can't remember. I think it was. Now I can't remember who built it. I know if I look it up, I'll find it, but I'm not going to. But it was this massive lighthouse. Massive lighthouse. It, it actually was uh, declared one of the seven wonders of the world because it's still standing. And I can't remember. But it, it was important because you could see this lighthouse literally from miles out into the ocean. Why am I talking about this again? Because it's a reflective issue. They didn't have halogen lights, electric lights. They didn't have plug-ins. They didn't have batteries. They had oil, burning oil lamps. And around this lamp, was a pattern of mirrors, reflective surfaces. Don't ask me what the deal is. I used to know the formulation. I can't remember it now. This was a long time ago. Remember, I'm an old guy. I forget stuff. But for some reason, as I learned in science, that refractive light, bent light, reflected light, is more intense than direct beam of light. That's why headlights on an automobile have the reflective surfaces behind them, it makes them brighter. And they didn't have all this halogen LED and all that stuff. It was burning oil. But this was so bright and it was made so tall. And what's the import of a lighthouse? And it's used in many places in the scripture. Because it's a reflective 
light that can be seen in this lighthouse can be seen literally for miles out in the ocean. Looked like a little tiny speck of light, but what would you see? It looked like a star sitting on the horizon out in the dark sea. If you've ever been on the ocean and you have no, no lights, I've been out there <laughs> way out someplace I didn't know where I was, and it's very dark out there. <laughs> when you get out of the inner inner workings of the ship and you go out and you have special passages to go through that keep it that way. It's really dark out there. This is why you have to be very careful because there are times and areas that you might go to and you won't even know that the hand is in front of your face until you tap the end of your nose. But these lighthouses were so bright. These, these men were out at sea and they looked and they saw this reflected, reflected light. And it pointed them to the haven, the haven of rest that they could get to make way for the light. And they knew which side of the lighthouse to be on, which side of the light to be on so that they can get into the haven. Interesting. Thank you, Father. Which side of the light are you going to be on? The light of the world? What side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side that leads you to the haven of rest, the haven of truth, the haven of knowledge and wisdom that comes from God? Or are you going to be on the other side, which is going to lead you into the rocks and the reef? <clears throat> Pardon me. And you're going to be dashed on the stones. And God loves us, truly loves us. Hence, his only begotten son coming to die for us. The book of Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Not just because he's kind and it's a good thing to do, but loving kindness. And he loves us with an everlasting love. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, who was with God from the beginning, who was the word of God, the truth of God. And that truth became manifest as flesh and came for us to sacrifice for us. And we can find that truth again in the book of John. Good old John. I think this is the John. Pretty certainly in. The Apostle John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then he goes on to talk about John the Baptist. 
And John the Baptist is also talked about in the Old Testament. That he goes on before to make the way straight. God's love. This is a thing that we don't understand is, is the depth of God's love, the, the depth, the height, the depth, the width. It's so vast and so full and so pure. <clears throat> and there's so much of that love in God that he could walk with me and tell me that I am his own. He can walk with you and tell you that you are his own. And he wouldn't be lying, that he loves, loves you. So much, and you are his own. You're you're near and dear to his own. He wouldn't be lying. God can't lie. God won't lie. God doesn't lie. And because of his love, is that we're not consumed, as he had done with Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the days of Noah, because he loved it. It was. You have to understand this. I, I'm gonna. This is from a matter of my perspective. You don't have to believe what I believe. You don't have to agree with what I say. But I'm telling you that this is um, evidence that I've seen. Is that? And I'm sure that it troubled God, because God is. God has emotions. When He destroyed the world. In the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, I know that that was troubling. And remember when, before that happened, they were looking for a good guy, a guy that would stand up and, and be counted and stand in the gap and be protected, be protective of them. But here's the thing, God, God, I believe, and as the word tells us, there's a couple times when, when, uh, that God was repentant of his creation because we were so vile. And this is, this is why the great flood and the rains came in the days of Noah. And God didn't want that to happen again because he loves us so much. So he said, we've got to do something. I don't want to, I don't want to bury them in the ocean again. I don't want to blast things to start over. I, I love these people have, they have a capability. They just need to be shown how, they need to be taught how, they just don't get it, but they're following the devil so much. And I don't want to do it again. And I'm certain that he and the father, they <laughs> they had discussion on this and Jesus said, I'll go for them. I know that they're still at enmity with his father, but I'll go, I'll do this thing. I'll go and I'll I'll teach them. I'll, I'll get some that will stay behind when I leave and, and, but I'll go. And the Holy Spirit visited Mary and the child was put in. And we read that in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, we read back there and we even find it in the book of Psalms 
700 years, 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. And God will give you a sign and a child will be born of a virgin and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us, God in us. God's love. And in the book of Lamentations, and this is um, Jeremiah had known, he was, um, he was in servitude to a king as a um, counselor, spokesperson, or what have you. And, but he had heard that Jerusalem had been destroyed and the walls pulled down the temples and the great doors were burned and the gates were burned. And it sat him. Hence the book Lamentations this is why he's sad. And, and he actually goes and rebuilds Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Because of the Lord's great love, this is in Lamentations 3, 22 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. He doesn't didn't destroy us like he did in the day of Noah. Or Sodom and Gomorrah. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And this is love that is incomprehensible. We cannot figure it out because we try to figure out with our finite mind and our minds have these little explosions going on everywhere and it gives us a headache. You're never going to be able to figure out the mystery of God. Not going to be able to figure it out. God is a mystery. The Bible tells us he's a mystery. Jesus is a mystery because he comes from heaven and he is of God. He and God are one. can't figure it out stop trying just believe and have faith you can't do that i mean astronauts have faith in all these all this gobbledygook formulations they get up there in these space capsules and the top of this thing okay you got these guys and gals that get in this thing that that and when they're sitting in it, it's like if you're in your it's as if you're in your reclining chair and you tip it over backwards all the way back on the floor that's the posture of the astronauts. And they're sitting on the top end of this giant stick of dynamite. And they light the fuse. But what they believe and have faith in is that this projectile, which it ultimately turns into, instead of blowing to smithereens, is going to launch them into space. <clears throat> they don't know and personally see any of these guys. They don't go have coffee with them. They might know a couple of them. But they don't know them. But they trust him. But you can know God. You can have a personal relationship with God. God desires that. You are his child. We are his children. That's what he wants. All you have to do is say, I accept that Jesus Christ is your only begotten son. I do, Father. I want to have faith in you. And I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps in my life every single day from now on. It's not an easy thing. The Holy Spirit will be with you. God is with us all the time. Okay, back to Lamentations 3, 22 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, 
The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. <clears throat> the Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good.